Good morning, Southwoods. It's good to see you this morning. We've got a bunch of our guys headed to Mexico. Lori mentioned them earlier before we, uh, I know several of you are here this morning. Would you just stand if you're headed to Mexico this week? Just want everybody to see you. And let's just bow our heads and pray for them real quick and pray for this week's trip. And there actually will be several uh, weeks of trips here going on in the next few weeks. Of course, we know and love Rocky and Sherry. Uh, Rhodes or ministry partners of ours down along the border. Let's just uh, let's pause and pray for them, okay? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your grace that you, uh, that you love all of us. We thank you that you have a heart for these children along the border. And uh, I just pray and ask God for these men and for the trips that will take place in uh, the next few weeks that your spirit will be at work, uh, that you'll do above and beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine in the lives of these men and the lives of these children in that community. We pray for breakthrough. We pray for the power of your spirit to be at work, uh, for eyes to be opened and, and, and hearts to open toward you and toward your ways. We pray for evil uh, to be rolled back. We pray, Father, for these children uh, to discover afresh the extent to which you love and cherish them. That these guys would leave jobs and families and spend money to, to to go and invest in their lives and in their well-being. Would, would that just sink in deeply in their hearts? And would they know that it's you, really, that loves them through all of us. Pray, Father, for your protection, for travel mercies. We pray for just all the logistics. And uh, we look forward, God, to good things happening because you're a good God because you care about these kids and you care about these men and their families. Would you bless their families while they're here or while they're away? And the families are here, and just uh, look out for them. And grateful for your grace that you hear our prayers. We lift this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, bless you guys for investing this week. It'll be, uh, I'll be looking forward to hearing lots of lots of stories and uh, harassment of certain ones of you. So, because I know you. We're getting a new series of messages today, and I've entitled this one, Eden. And I want to begin by asking you a question. I just want you to, to sit back and think with me about this for a moment. Do you feel like right now you're sitting real still? When I was a kid, my mom, always, I was kind of fidgety, so she always wanted me to sit still. But I'm not talking about being fidgety. Do you feel like you're sitting still, like, like you're not really moving? You probably do, but here's what I want you to know. It is an illusion. It's an incredible illusion. It's truly miraculous in nature. Right now, planet Earth is spinning around its axis at a speed of 1,000 miles an hour, roughly. You don't feel like you're moving. But our planet is spinning that fast. We're also hurtling through space at the same time at an average velocity of 67,108 miles per hour. Kind of whipping through the, the galaxy is what our, our, our world is doing at the same time as we're individually spinning on its axis a thousand miles an hour. This is what's going on right now. It's not just faster than the speeding bullet. It's 87 times faster than the speed of sound is how fast we're hurtling through the galaxy. And if that's not enough movement for you, the Milky Way galaxy that we're part of, it's spinning like a galactic pinwheel at the dizzying rate of 483,000 miles per hour through space. And all the while it's doing this, there are millions of millions of other galaxies out there like ours that it's not colliding with. What's further stunning about this 
is that it does this 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's been doing this your entire lifetime. It's been doing it since the Genesis, since the beginning of all things. And there's a very important, pivotal question that every person who's sane has to wrestle with. How? How does that happen? How did everything that we see come into being? How is this whole universe not a... Just a colossal wreck. How does, it, how does it exist with the beauty, the detail, the precision, the compassion among us that it does? Science attempts to address the mechanics of how all of this might have happened, but it has no explanation for the intricate design and incredible intelligence and brilliance that's required to understand all this, much less to make it happen from nothing. The Bible explains all this this way in Genesis 1.1. tells us this, in the beginning, God... God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible just reveals in its first words that everything we see, everything we know that's real about our world, everything has a creator, a divine sculptor, a, a sovereign and brilliant designer, architect, builder. The world is not the product of random chance. It's not a, it's not a byproduct of luck. It's not... Because of aliens, as some have begun to, uh, to espouse and believe in their effort to ignore God, as Genesis 1.1 says. The Bible tells us that this world exists because of the action and will of someone the Bible calls God. And if you have your Bibles, open your Bible to Genesis 1. We're going to look at a few verses here this morning. Genesis 1, we're going to start at verse 2 here just for the next few minutes. just want you to read along with me for a few moments. As we look at some of these verses, in, in Genesis, if you're is the first book of the Bible, and chapter one is the first chapter of the Bible, and verse two is the second verse of the first book of the first chapter of the Bible. So it doesn't get easier than this for us all. So uh, Genesis one, verses two to three. This is what the Bible says: the earth was formless and empty. Some of the older translations say void. Darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. You know, from that point on in Scripture, the Bible tells us that the created order of things began to take shape. Until ultimately, as you read on, around day six, the last day that God created things... God did something that he considered to be particularly amazing. Let's look at what he says about all of this. Now, the Bible says, verse 24, Genesis 1, God says this, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, wild animals. And that's what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make human beings, let us make man. The Hebrew word for man is 
Ha-Adam in this particular passage. Ha-Adam. Does that sound familiar? Adam, Adam. Okay. Let us make man, Adam, mankind, in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals in the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And that is what happened, the Bible concludes. And then, then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. The Bible goes on to explain in Genesis 2, the next chapter, that somewhere along during day sixth of creation, Genesis 2.8 says, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. Well, For the next few minutes, what we're going to do is we're going to reflect together on these verses, and there's... A lot of reasons why it's important that we pay attention to these verses. But particularly, I want you to think about this. At creation, in Eden, God reveals to all of us, you and me and all of mankind, a lot about ourselves. Every one of us needs to understand who God created us to be. And we need to think and reflect on this and not just blindly go through life assuming that I know what that is. Many of us go through life wandering and just blundering because we've given zero thought to the fact that there's a creator who had a plan. Genesis gives us insight into that. And this morning, as we look at creation and look at Eden, I hope that to highlight four insights into humanity, into us, that God reveals from the very beginning that if we listen and take seriously, um, can make a difference in our worldview. Difference in how we see the events and circumstances of our lives. It affects how we view the future. It affects a lot. So for the next few minutes, we're going to look at those four insights into us, about us. And the first insight about us that the Bible reveals in creation is this. It reveals mankind's identity. It reveals our identity. Who we are. It reveals that. Look at verse 26 and 27 again. It just says, God says, let us... Make human beings, make man in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the, sky, the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. This passage is just conveying the understanding that you were not just the random collision of of chemicals, that you, in fact, were fashioned, you were formed, you were made in the image, the likeness, in similar form and nature to your creator, to God who is Lord and creator of all things. It's interesting to me, in verse 26, he says, let us, let us, even beginning to hint at the fact that there's a plurality to God's nature, that there's a Father, there's a Son, there's a Holy Spirit. 
just as you have been created with a body, soul, and spirit, in the very image and the very nature of God. God wants us to understand that just as He experiences joy, you can experience joy. Just as He experiences anger, you can experience anger. Just as you can be frustrated, He can be frustrated. And on we could go about these kinds of things. But you have been made in the image of God. Just as children and babies bear the likeness, the image of their parents, you and I bear the likeness, the image of our Creator, our God. And it's interesting to me as you look at these verses that we even bear His image in that He has given us authority to rule over some portion of the created order. I mean, think about this. I mean, God is in charge over all things. And so what has He done with us who He's created? He's given us authority to rule over something, every one of us. We rule over ourselves. We've been given, if you look at us, what separates us from the animal kingdom? We've been given self-determination, correct? We rule ourselves or in some cases, abdicate rule of ourselves. But it's a choice. We have, we have control over that. We rule over ourselves. We rule over our families. Sometimes we rule over groups or companies or nations or animals or something else. We are like God in that we've been given authority to rule and reign. When it comes to our identity, I want you to notice if you look at these verses, God references gender. Did you notice that? He references gender. He created us, say it, male and two, two genders, two genders, male and female that he hits here in the text. Male and female, he created them, the text says. We need to have wisdom and we need to look with open eyes at some of the gender confusion of our day. Maybe well-intentioned in most instances, but it reveals our confusion about God, confusion about who he's made us to be. Confusion about his plan for, our, for us as humans. We've been made by God to be a man or a woman, and there's dignity in that. There's dignity in being a man. There's dignity in being a woman. And God, who's sovereign, has created each of us to be one or the other with a sovereign plan in mind. A lot could be said about that, but we see in creation not just that, but there's a second insight into humanity. God reveals mankind's task, what we're to do. Verse 28 just says succinctly, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Let's just boil it down to this. He's saying, have children. He's saying, have children. When you think about this, do you realize that through childbirth, God is humbly allowing you and me to participate in creation, get this, like Him, similar to Him. I mean, we're made in His image even in that respect. It's a reflection of Him. And He goes on and says, fill the earth, fill the earth. A little side note. Does that sound like God is concerned about population control? Say it out loud. No. 
God didn't say fill the earth until you have six billion people and start controlling the population through birth control or abortion or through some other means. God did not say that here. He says fill the earth. Fill the earth. Now, critics will say, well, you know, God didn't know. God didn't know how many people would be born. He didn't understand that we'd have to figure out how to feed and house all these people, blah, 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 blah. Really? I mean, remember, you're spinning at 1,000 miles an hour right now, and you don't feel it, okay? We are whipping through the galaxy at 67,100 and something miles per hour faster than a speeding bullet, 87 times faster than the speed of sound. Remember that. How did that happen? Really? You think he really didn't understand that God is smarter than the unbelievers? And let me just say this, smarter than many of the believers of our day give him credit for being. Here's something I want you to consider. This is lunch table conversation topic for all of us. Have you ever considered that maybe God is so smart that when he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, that maybe, just maybe, the earth was designed by God from its inception to operate more effectively, more efficiently, more safely as the population grows? Maybe instead of catastrophes occurring, maybe in fact as the population gets greater, the extra CO2 in the atmosphere and all of the byproducts of humanity on the planet somehow in ways that right now we just don't understand nor want to often. Maybe the earth would actually be more efficient and effective. Safer place to be. The possibility is at least worth scientifically exploring, wouldn't you say? I doubt it's on the UN agenda. But here's what we have to keep in mind. God is perfectly capable of giving you and me creative ideas to address the problems that arise as we obey his word, are fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And as evidence of that, think about this. How have farming techniques changed in the last hundred years to support the, the population we now have? Have they changed? Yes, dramatically. How about medicine? How about water purification? How about energy? How about building techniques? I could go on with this, but the fact is we just sort of blindly go through our culture as though God has no place in our world when the truth of the matter is God is whispering in the minds and hearts. He's, he's calling into existence people as we are fruitful and multiply who, who give us insights on molecular biology that help us deal with medicine and, tech, and disease and technology. He, he's doing this constantly and we assume that it's like brilliant me when the truth of the matter is we have a God who knew the end before the beginning and is at work. It's what the Bible teaches us. God said, fill the earth. And then if you notice in the text, verse 28, he says, govern it. Govern it. It could be translated steward it, manage it. Sometimes it's translated rule over it, but it has this whole idea of be a shrewd manager as you rule and reign over the earth. I have a question for you. Do good stewards of another man's property vandalize waste and squander 
that property for selfish gain? Is that what wise stewards do? Of course not. So we probably shouldn't treat God's earth that way either. Right? Laura and I love the West when we go vacationing. We, we like to go to the ocean sometimes, but we always end up being in the mountains is what we like, and we love the West. And, and you can't go West and not think about the past. At least I can't because we love history. And over the years that we've gone West, you know, you get out in Cody, Wyoming, or some of these places, and you've got Buffalo Bill and some of these guys who just were great bison hunters, and some of them, they just shot the bison for sport. I mean, they almost went extinct. I want you to think about this. Hunting bison to near extinction 150 years ago for sport doesn't sound like good stewardship to me. I don't think it was a brilliant idea. And I think we're wise if we're watchful about making similar or worse mistakes in our generation. It, it, we're to govern the earth, not squander it. It's a third insight into us that's revealed in creation and in Eden. And it's this time of year appropriate. The text reveals mankind's diet, what we're to eat. You know, many of us have overeaten a bit in the last few weeks as Christmas and New Year's have passed. And so here's a New Year's dietary plan for you directly from Genesis 1.29. And I'll, I, without detailing the verse, you can go back and read it and study it carefully and break it all down. But let me just summarize it for our benefit. Eat your fruits and veggies. <laughs> Summary. Eat your fruits and veggies. Uh, it's amazing to me, and, and it, on some level, it ought to be instructive to us that you and I can eat all the vegetables we could possibly consume, all the raw veggies you just eat until you are absolutely full and they're coming out of your ears. Is it going to hurt your body? Answer? No. Is that not odd? What a weird quirk of evolution. Because you were made by God to eat some of those things. You can eat all the vegetables you want. Uh, you can eat most all of the fruits that you want. Uh, even breads, for that matter. You think about breads, and I mean, they're the product of a grain, and have to be a little more shrewd about that. But the fact is, you can eat this stuff, and you will not injure your body because it was part of God's plan for you. Now, the text doesn't highlight meats. That was mentioned later. I know some of you were waiting for me to get to that. Uh, meats are mentioned in the Bible. Uh, you'll notice it, though I'm not going to camp on it in a few weeks when we get to another passage of Scripture. But, uh, but it's inst instructive. God excludes pork. He excludes shellfish. All the scavenger types of fish. That's all like off limits from a dietary standpoint, from God's standpoint. And science has validated that, you know, that kind of stuff, they sometimes carry bacteria, they sometimes carry diseases and things from the fact that they're scavenger fish. So God, in his wisdom, for at least those reasons, if not others that we don't know, says avoid that kind of stuff. 
And every time we're inclined to ignore a healthy diet, which if you're like me, uh, there are those days, those times, uh, every time we're inclined to ignore a healthy diet, we need to ask ourselves this question. It's a sobering question. Did it matter what Adam and Eve ate? Did it? I mean, it's our nature. It's our inclination. It's, it's like this little thread of rebellion that runs through the center of every one of us. It just wants to kind of do our own thing. And, and, and yet God has a plan. And if, if we will humble ourselves and listen to him and learn from him, we benefit from that. Adam and Eve would have in the beginning, and we can't even in this day. What we do with food does matter. It does have implications for our lives. And I'll just say, I'm, I'm not saying even in my question, did it matter what Adam and Eve ate? I'm not saying that, you know, to eat pork or something else is necessarily in the same category. But, but I am saying that we need to reflect on this. We need to wrestle with this and take this more seriously than sometimes we do. I'm saying that to myself as well as you. Fourth and final insight into us that I'll mention today is implied in the text. And Genesis 1 reveals this. It reveals mankind's ownership. Mankind's ownership. Who we belong to. I want to show you something that uh, back when I was in junior high school, my fabulous creative abilities I made. And uh, it's, you're going to be stunned. It's, it's riveting. It's... It's this. Wow. Look at this. I live just a little ways down the road from this site. This was a picture of uh, the Tulsa drag strip, the, the raceway. There it is up on the screen so you can see it. Uh, for those of you who can't see this, I, I know it's truthfully kind of lame. But hey, it was what I could do. In fact, I even use this. Some of you say, I think I've seen that before. Actually, you have. About, I don't know, five, six years ago, I used it as another illustration, different kind of illustration. And uh, if I'd actually created more things than this one, I'd share some of them. But I, I, this is what I got. This is, the rest of it was so trashy, it's gone. But, uh, but for some reason, my mom was delirious and saved this. So uh, this is what I got to show you. This is this little picture that I made. Now, here, here's my question for you. Who owns this picture? I do, right? Why do I own it? I made it. I made it. Okay? I made it. Who does mankind belong to? Who owns mankind? God. Why is that? He made you. He made us. Now, I want you to hear this. What's astonishing about this fact is that God owns you and me and all of mankind because he made us. But more than that, get this, he doubly owns you and me. Because Ephesians 1, 7 tells us that he's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And 1 Corinthians 6 adds, You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Here's the point. God, God doesn't just own you because He made you. He, he has paid for you and me twice. Twice. That's how much you matter to Him. 
and that's how much he owns you. In Eden and at the cross, we're reminded that we belong to God, and every one of us needs to understand that. We need to remember that we are not our own. We have a creator who made us, and we made a savior who's redeemed us. We have a savior who's redeemed us. And he's done that both times because he wanted to walk in relationship with us. He wanted it so bad that he paid the second time for us. I want to close by asking you, are you stewarding God's property, your body, your soul, your spirit, that's made in the image of God? Are you stewarding it like God would want you to? Maybe you've been rebelling against him in some area of your life. Maybe you didn't know better. Maybe you do. Maybe you've just been blindly going through life and just thinking, you know, I, it's my life. But this morning, it's, the text has reminded you, that no, no. Your life is loaned to you by the God who created you. And you're just thinking, I need to steward this better. Today is God's invitation to every one of us to come home. It's his invitation to every one of us to rededicate our lives to him and to living according to his wishes for our lives, to fall in line with his expectations, his will, his ways, that ultimately his ways are best for us and that in the long term, that's all that's going to matter. Today is God's invitation to each of us to humble ourselves, to lean into him. Will you do that? Will you do that? I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to, afterwards, if you've got anything you'd like specifically for us to pray for you about, some of us will be hanging around down here. be happy to do that. And particularly if you're just are saying, you know, I, I want to begin the new year by giving my heart, giving my life to God because he's purchased me and I've been in rebellion been running from him. Maybe today you just need somebody to pray with you and just you verbalize that I'm coming back to him or I'm coming to him and let one of us pray with you about that. Happy to do that. But let's pray together and invite God to empower us and walk with us as we try to live out his will for our lives this week and this year. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you I want to thank you for everything from keeping our planet in orbit to purchasing us with the shed blood of your son, Jesus. The number of things for which we deserve to be giving you honor and glory and gratitude just explode our ability to understand. We ask your forgiveness that we don't live in a constant state of awe of your goodness and your favor. We ask your forgiveness for that. As we reflect on these things this morning, we ask for your help. We live in a world where rebellion is celebrated, championed, honored. And we just recognize that's not your way. 
Help us, O God, to choose your way. Help us to become humble in spirit, gentle in nature, loving and kind. Help us to walk with the truth in our minds and on our lips, fleshing itself out through our actions and our will. Help us to be determined to rule and reign over whatever sphere you've given us with the kind of character that shows up in the life of Jesus. Father, we'll rejoice to be a part of helping your world be the best that it can be in its present state. Father, we just want to acknowledge we look forward to the day when Jesus, his rule and reign over our earth will be complete. It'll be shore to shore. Every square inch of this globe exclusively doing his will. We look forward to that day, God. In the meantime, help us to be ambassadors for your way. Loving, compassion-filled, gracious ambassadors for you. Father, would you go with us as we leave this place and as we reflect on all of this, as we humble ourselves before you, would you fill us with your spirit? Make us more than we could ever be on our own. For the benefit of this world and the glory of Jesus, we ask for this. Amen. Amen. Bless you all.